Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. I am beyond thankful for friends like Sel Watts or Sue Ellen Watts. Uh, look her up number one on Instagram and on LinkedIn. But uh, I asked her if she knew anyone that I could interview. I was just looking to kind of diversify a little bit. And she introduced me to Lisa Sky Hayne. Lisa is the CEO and co-founder of Primary, which is a co-working space in New York City. And I interviewed her we were gonna do it in person but we decided like let's just not with everything going on still new york is obviously not the greatest place uh, to just kind of go and be social so we decided to do it over zoom she was at her flagship location and we just had a profound chat the energy was completely palpable i was thrilled to have got to know her and listen to her perspectives on female leaderships on the human experience as a differentiator in hospitality and listening to her history Okay, like I knew she worked in the Danny Meyer empire before the interview. I knew that she was on the Forbes Coaches Council, but I did not know that she was pretty much the third employee ever at. You'll have to listen to find out. This episode is sponsored by Rich Cardona Media. We film, edit, distribute content for you for LinkedIn. We do research for you. We give you accountability calls and accountability calls means we go over the stats and tell you this is what we told you to do. This is what you didn't do. Uh, we are we have a lot of skin in the game. And although I, we would love to like teach you everything about LinkedIn and, and all that good stuff, we'd rather just do it for you. You don't have the time. I don't have the time to just create out of shoot. I, I hardly create content for myself because we create so much content for others. But I understand what it's like and just Think about the presence that you need in order to really be seen on platforms like LinkedIn, where a lot of the decision makers that you want to get in front of are probably living there. So all that being said, uh, we are going to get into the show. Here we go. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the intro. I'm here with Lisa. I gave you a little bit of her bio, but you know where the real meat is once we start to get talking. So you just showed me your mug. Let's see it. The notorious RBG. Uh, obviously, uh, the passing of the Supreme Court justice uh, was very, very sad. Obviously, you're, you said you're really big into female leadership right now. So I could tell you one thing that I've seen gone viral and a trend, and it is I'm still speaking. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So uh, maybe you've seen a little bit of that, of that floating around. But before we get into what you do and all that and how we could help entrepreneurs, talk to me about uh, female leadership and why it's so important to you. Well, I thank you, Rich, and thank you for having me again. Um, I, I think that what has become so interesting for me over the last five years of this journey called the launch of my business, you know, in pr primary, um, is that I was asked a question a year ago on a podcast. The question was, what's your favorite part of being CEO of primary? And I thought, it's such a simple question. I thought for a moment and I thought to myself, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said, well, this is amazing that I had a vision and a dream. I was able to raise money and here it is. I can touch it and feel it and, and, and it's, it's come to life. Four years later, five years later now, now that I've raised close to $10 million, and had to go through the fundraising exercise and pitch and be in many meetings where I'm the only woman and there are mostly older white men. Uh, and, and I've become so present to how uh, women are a minority in the fundraising world. We receive two to 3% of all of the funding. 
I am so called to being a, a stand for and voice for women who are uh, entrepreneurs and who are up to big things in the world. And by the way, up to small things in the world, but who are just have the courage to, to bring something to life that is a dream or vision of theirs. And, and so I'm, I'm loving that the world, you know, the country is, is, is giving voice to this movement, which is female empowerment and female leadership. And I, I'm, I am ready to spend the next couple of decades, you know, cheering all of us women on. Absolutely. Uh, well, as we mentioned, uh, when we were kind of warming up a little bit, I have two daughters and all I think about all the time is how I never want them to go through nonsensical shit. I mean, just and, and not have an understanding. And luckily for me, my, my wife is an Army veteran. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, but I believe the two of us can probably set a good example and at least explain. And I don't want to say empower, but Give them the knowledge in advance that this might be tough, but you got it. So, so let me go back to one thing, and I know we're we're kind of already deviating, which I'm completely fine with. Is is you mentioned the two to three percent? You want to grow that number, I'm assuming. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking about what you're talking about. But why? Why did you end up in that two to three percent who were able to raise so much money? And do you think it's repeatable? That repeatable that I raised the money. Repeatable. I'm. Can you? Do you believe you can cascade those skills downwards? You know, like what you learned to other women and minorities. Of course, a hundred percent. And and I think that by being a voice for by by be get being um, given the opportunity like this to to give voice to what is brewing inside of me on behalf of other women and minorities in this country, so that. Other people will listen, they will hear, and they will be inspired by, you know, and that's why, you know, I, I have to remind myself, you know, we're always our own worst critics. And so I know that with primary, I have learned so many things and I have had so many painful learning opportunities, as they say. And, and so I think it's why I'm, I share unabashedly and vulnerably because I want others to learn from my mistake, mistakes, so to speak. And, and I also uh, generally stay rooted in, in the confidence that I have that though there are probably a hundred things that I wish I did different over the last five years, there's also a thousand things that I've done right over the last you know five years. And so I think always trying to have that balance of focus on the positive, knowing that you're intuitively on the right path, doing, doing what you believe in, what you know is right. Um, but then taking a step back and sort of learning from the, the mistakes, you know, taking a step back to reflect and say, what could I have done better or different here so you can go forward is always important. I don't know if that answered the question exactly. <laughs> well, well, no, it's fine. This gives me a perfect opportunity to ask it a little better, which is you approached this. Now, anytime anything is going to become yours, even if you need money, it's yours. Like you said, after a couple of years, you could touch it, you could feel it, you could see it, you know, you're having impact, it's growing. At the bottom of that summit, and I'm, I'm assuming that the summit has not yet been reached, of course, but you're at the bottom of it. And now you know that you are going to need to take money on. You have put out your business plan. You've organized the potential team members. Where do you begin knowing that percentage is so low? And how did you plan strategically to pitch to these white, older men to convince you that you're worth taking a risk on, so to speak? I think, well, first of all, I will add the caveat that I'm very lucky because my seed investment did come from someone who knew me uh, when I was at WeWork. I was a first employee, basically second employee to the brother of one of the founders, um, who Kyle, who was the first employee. 
So that investor was a seed investor in WeWork. He invested in me. Um, so I, I didn't have to put together a deck. I didn't have to put together a pitch. We, I put together a financial model, but he invested knowing he'd already invested in the industry, assuming that there would be success here. And so when I went for the next round of funding was when I had to really, it almost, it was a benefit, of course, a blessing I will always be grateful for, but it worked against me, so to speak, in that I never had to pound the pavement. I didn't have to put together a deck. I didn't have to walk out of pitches sort of saying, oh gosh, I should have said this, or I could have said that better, or oh, they're probably laughing you know, on my way, on my way out, or all of the things that I, I think I learned from you know, overvaluing the company because my seed investor had sort of grandiose visions that weren't based in reality of the numbers of the business. And, you know, uh, some of some of those things that I think were mistakes, but again, learning opportunities. And you know, some some folks, some of the 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 investors probably said, wow, oh, she had some guts, you know, to to value herself so so uh, so highly. And you know, who know who knows? It's all learning opportunities. So yeah. So then talk to me about how this idea came to be in the first place. I mean, obviously, we already know you have a background in co-working, so it seems like a natural shift. But just because you did doesn't mean you can do on your own. <laughs> so you were within, right? So so what happened? Yeah, I mean, I remember having a conversation with Miguel McKelvey, you know, with Adam Newman and Adam Miguel were the partners they are, uh, at WeWork. And I remember when I was leaving, I said to Miguel, you know, I, I, I don't need to take over the world. I, I think I could be very happy going and opening two or three of my own. And I'll never forget him saying, and it's one of those things I reflected on in retrospect, why would you want to open your own? It's, it's so much more work. <laughs> and maybe two or three years into this, I remember texting him and saying, man, you were right. It's so much more work when it's your own. And, and it's your own. You know, I mean, that's really what it was about for me is my whole life, I knew I wanted to own my own business. I worked in the hospitality industry for many years, working with Danny Meyer with Unisburg Cafe, helped open Love Madison Park and the Odeon and Blue Hill with Dan Barber and some really great restaurateurs here in New York City. And I, I said to myself, well, the restaurant industry is a whole lifestyle change. It's nights, holidays, weekends. I don't know if I really want to open a restaurant. Never closes. You know, exactly. And so, okay, next, um, you know, now I was in television briefly, but then I, I fell into real estate the last you know, 15 years. I was in mortgages for four years, originating loans because I love the person I was working with, not because I woke up one day saying, let me originate a loan. That would yes. be fun. You know, it was, <laughs> I like the team so that you see the theme community. I love bringing people together. It's super important for me that I'm lit up and inspired by the people who I surround myself with and that I can do that for others also. And so when I had the opportunity to go work with WeWork, you know, I was a leader in a global business or uh, networking organization called BNI, stands for Business Network International, 250,000 members or so in the world. I was uh, president of three different chapters here in Manhattan. I was the president of what became the largest chapter Manhattan had ever seen in almost 20 years. It was the largest in the country, fourth largest in the world. Four and a half years after I started it, there were 72 members. So every Wednesday morning, I'd lead a meeting at 7 a.m. that it would have, you know, 80 or 90 people in the room. And I'd say, good morning, you know, and uh, and bring my enthusiasm and on decaf coffee, by the way, because I, I, <laughs> I discovered years ago, I don't need caffeine. I have a lot of natural energy. <laughs> um, but but I was in the mortgage seat when I was originally in that networking organization. And on the day that I decided, 
I haven't even told the mortgage company I'm working for, but I'm going to open the mortgage feed and I'm going to announce it to my community that I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm going to lean into my community and I'm going to let them know that I'm looking for opportunities. And that day, Rich, the guest of a guest was Adam Newman, the co-founder of WeWork. And, and after the meeting ended, 20 minutes after the meeting ended, we happened to be standing next to each other. And he said, oh, I might need a mortgage. And I said, well, I don't know if you heard me. I'm opening uh, the mortgage feed. He said, well, what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't know. I'm taking some time. I really want to do something that lights me up. Makes me feel really inspired. And he said, well, I'm launching this thing called WeWork and this office building downtown. You should come check it out. That was on a Wednesday. I went that afternoon, met with him for an hour. He showed me the first building in Soho. I went back two days later. I met with Miguel uh, and Adam for three hours. And then I started three days later on Monday morning as their you know, second employee after Kyle, Miguel's brother. So, you know, and when it was when I was with WeWork that I said, oh my gosh, I love what we're doing here. It was the physical iteration of what I had already been doing in BNI for years where you're bringing together and I'm sort of almost pointing behind me here because I'm sitting in a space where we have 160 offices in my flagship location here with 75,000 square feet in the financial district here in Manhattan. And, and we were bringing together all these different types of business owners under one roof. And so I would be touring an interior designer and I would be saying, so who do you like to meet and how can I connect you? What are ideal introductions? And they say architects. And I say, oh, knock, 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 you know, hey, Bob, you should meet Jean and you guys should exchange cards. And this person would say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I should take space here. And, and so I just loved it. I loved the community aspect of it. And I said, you know, I think I, I would like to launch a business like this. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> I love that. I I, I think it's like, uh, I always imagine in situations like that, where your eyes are wide open and you see all the possibilities, you did not sit here and mention how it could potentially be very lucrative or where it would get you. You were talking about how it is connecting people. And obviously that started with BNI. And and I always equate that to like kind of going into like a Baskin Robbins, like, look at all these flavors, you know, like it's exciting. I could get one scoop of this and one scoop of that. And next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're extremely happy and a passion for connecting is another way to look at networking. I actually, as extroverted as I may seem, like I just can't stand networking events. I, it, it's just, it's awful. Like you said, decaf. It's just like, yeah, I should probably switch to decaf at networking events too. Cause I will be the guy who gets like 20 cups of coffee. Cause I'm just like, uh, you know, this is, this is weird. And if you, if you look at it as from who you can connect with who, I think that changes everything. Now BNI, I want to tell you, I, I'd never heard of BNI and I was in New York and Helen Coop, who was with Cell at the time, brought me. That's how I met Cell, also, yeah. through Helen. <laughs> and she brought yeah. me, I, I forget which location I went and I had a train to catch. I stayed overnight. I was doing some work the night before and, um, and I went and I was like, what is this? Uh, and it's so interesting. It, it, is, yeah. it, is, it is fascinating. So actually, let's talk about that because I am certain I am not the only one, especially veteran who's like, what's BNI? Like, what is this? Talk to me about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what the intent is. Totally. Um, would love to. I mean, I could do it in my sleep. I, I, I love BNI. I still hope that I can stay connected to the organization, you know, in, in some way in the years going forward also. And by the way, quick caveat to all the single ladies out there, you know, that's how I approach dating also. I, I, you talked about connecting, being sort of, you know, that, that's the joy of networking really is that you're bringing people together and opportunities. And so that's how I approach dating. I would say, 
you know, I don't know if this guy's going to be the one, but maybe I'm going to introduce him to his next chiropractor <laughs> or, you know, help him connect to his CPA or whatever. You know, I kind of look at it as like, who knows, maybe it's going to be a friend of mine, you know? Yes. And, you know but so when somebody lives, you know, I lowered the bar of expectation of whether or not I'm going to like have a, you know, physical chemistry with this person. <laughs> that is a, that, I think that's going to have to be a clip uh, for a, definitely a clip from this episode <laughs> for sure. Cause that is a very interesting take. Okay, so anyway, so yeah, okay, so BNI. BNI. So BNI stands for Business Network International. It's the largest networking organization of its type in the world. As I mentioned, over 250,000 members, about 1,500 or so here in Manhattan. It's a very simple philosophy that leads the organization. Two words, givers gain. So the philosophy is, if I give, I will receive. The mentality, in my opinion, and the, certainly the leadership approach that I took when I was uh, a direct, I was not only president of three chapters, I was a director for as many as 13 chapters at one point also helped uh, chapters come together. But um, you, know, you can't always look at it as like, if I give, I have to receive, right? It's not always directly reciprocal. I may give to Rich, Rich gives to Sel, Sel gives to Helen, and Helen gives back to me. So in essence, what goes around comes around. But so in each chapter, which is a group that's formed, uh, again, what makes it distinct from other networking organizations is that there's only one professional per industry per chapter. So one architect, one interior designer, one uh, chiropractor, one massage therapist, one social media person, web designer, et cetera, et cetera. And so the idea is that at the end of the day, you know, everybody needs a guy, right? And so here you got in your back pocket by fostering relationships with these other business professionals because you meet with them weekly. You you always have an opportunity to give to other people and to help other people. And so as we are all in sales, no matter whatever our business or industry is, we are selling something. And so the sort of opening or leading question that you can ask at the end of any conversation is, so what else can I do to help you, right? Or what's going on with your business right now that I can help with? Because then, and then you shut up, right? And then you just listen to what people say. And someone might say, you know, I'm actually having a hard time focusing in business because, oh, I'm moving right now and I got to find a painter and I got to find a you know, mover. And all of a sudden you say, you know, I got a great painter. I got a great mover, you know, you, and you have an, oh, my back's been killing me recently. I got a great acupuncturist, a chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have everything in your back pocket. So as, as that evolves, and actually this is just out of curiosity, if there's only one seat for a social media person. How do you guys internally vet that person? Because what if there's a Rich Cardona sitting in the crowd as a guest and I'm like, oh man, like they got it all wrong. I could do wonders. Yeah. Well, so there's an application process, of course, and every group has a membership committee. So they ask for two references. So you're calling previous clients and the references cannot be friends or former supervisors. It is clients who have paid you for your services. Awesome. And so you're, so you're calling, you're vetting, you're having conversations with them. And then, and then to some extent, you know, you're, you are, then it is the luck of the draw. You're then observing that professional um, and, and you're building a relationship. You know, the chapter that was the largest one in the country that I launched here is still the largest in the city. And it's been around now for 12 years, it still exists. And the commercial real estate attorney who I use for my business has been in the chapter for over 10 years now. And so you can imagine the business he's received over the years, because the number one reason that people join BNI is to make more money in their business. And the number one reason that they leave is because they're not making money. They're not getting the referrals in the business that they want. And so they decide to leave and go do something else. But so, 
you know, as a leader, as a director, and also, you know, president, I would coach these business professionals and how to be masterful networkers. And, and welcome to life, Rich. What you get in is what you get out. So if anyone and members came to me complaining about what they were getting out, the first question is, what are you getting in? Are you showing up early? Are you preparing your pitch so that when other people are pitching, you're not writing your pitch during that, you know, and not listening? You know, the biggest gift you could give to anyone when you go to a networking event is the gift of listening and being present and really hearing what people are asking for, because those are the pieces of gold that we're looking for and that will give us the opportunity to be of service to other people. And, you know, I'm, I'm full of these little tips of, you know, are you dressing professionally? I would make the joke that now after leading these meetings for 10 years, let me tell you, some mornings I wake up and I want to throw on a pair of jeans, you know, and, and go to the meeting. And I think, well, it's that one opportunity that's the biggest one for my career is sitting in the seat next to me that day. Will I want to be wearing this or will I want to be wearing, you know, the jeans? Okay, let me dress up again, you know, and, and it's just a consideration of first impressions. And, you know, it, there's so many of these missed opportunities, I think, that business professionals have and, and that they could turn around, though, with very small tweaks to how they show up in the business world. I call them quarter turns. I was like, you're always a quarter turn away. Yeah. From from whatever it is, momentum, uh, from ending your failures or your losses, uh, you're always a quarter turn away. So you're talking about experiences and and that kind of masterful networking. And and I want to tell you, I met, I didn't meet, I observed Danny Meyer about a year ago at Hypergrowth in Boston. I did not hear about him. I've never known anything about him. I was in a cocoon, I would say, for the, my 17 years in the Marine Corps, and then I went to Amazon for a couple of years, I had no idea what was going on. I was very just invested in being where I was. So I started getting exposed to all these different people and I saw him speak and he just so told this story, which I will abbreviate very quickly. He basically said, you know, if you go to a restaurant and they get every single thing right, meaning you said no ice, they bring you no ice. You know, you wanted extra ketchup, they bring you ketchup. They cook your burger perfectly, any of those things. He goes, you're only at a 49 out of 100. He goes, the other 51% comes from the experience. And I was like, wow, because especially flying lately, it's really interesting. And there's a very, very different experience that I've had on the two airlines that I'm flying with the most. So what is your take on that and how that plays into primary? Mm, oh, I got goosebumps over here, Rich. Yeah, I was literally just, my general manager was sitting in this seat right behind me here. Uh, literally, we were just having this conversation. And I said, 51 percenters, I literally just said it an hour ago. And I talked about enlightened hospitality, because that's a big theme. Um, takeaway, not only that Danny Meyers employees or management uh, managers have, but anyone who's read his book, Setting the Table, I know some people who that's a Bible for them and they've read it multiple times. You know, Danny talks about hiring 51 percenters. He says that 49 percent of what people possess are technical skills that can be trained. You can teach them the ingredients in a dish or the varietals in a wine, but you can't teach them to care about people, to want to go above and beyond, to create a dining experience for people. And so that's what we were talking about is, is, is uh, sort of the question, can you train warmth? Can you train people's inherent desire to be of service to other people? 
and you know they're they're masterful in the Union Square Hospitality Group, which is Danny's, you know, Danny Land as we call it, you know, Danny Meyer Empire, um, at finding these types of people. I remember I was 21 years old, straight off the plane from Florida. I joke in my class, in my uh, platform flip flops and my pastels <laughs> right here in New York City, where we all wear black. You can see I'm bringing the colorful back still. So, Totally showed up to New York and, and I had a list. I'd worked in restaurants down in Palm Beach. I had a list of 10 restaurants that people had suggested or bars, you know, that I should apply to. And Union Square Cafe, Danny's first restaurant was on that list. And I ended up going to these different places. And I remember distinctly going into Union Square Cafe and having this feeling, ah, oh, I just love the way it felt. And whether it came from the warm way that someone greeted me when I came in, you know, I, I talk about how, uh, maitre d's, a masterful maitre d' in a restaurant has looked ahead to all of the reservation last names so that when the guest comes in, they can greet you eye to eye. Hi, good evening. Welcome. And when you say Cardona party of two, I say, wonderful. We were expecting you. I don't say, oh, and I look down and now you're looking at the top of my head and I'm trying to find a few of reservation because I was anticipating. I was going above and beyond and, and expecting. And so you know, whether what so whether it was the warmth that I felt when I came in or or just the conversations I had with their management, I remember leaving thinking, Oh my gosh, I really want to work here. And in the second interview they said, you know, do you have any questions? And I said, Can I have the job? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, Well, we'll get we'll get back to you very soon. And and but I started a week later and that was my first job in New York City. Wow. And I worked with them for three years. And I like to say my best friend who I met there, and she and I have been best, besties for 22 years now. She's out in San Francisco. We like to say we could have written a book, Everything We Need to Know We Learned from Danny Meyer, you know, or at Union Square Cafe versus in kindergarten, um, because he really, again, is, is masterful at finding people who want to create experiences and meet and exceed um, expectations. A lot of New York restaurants would get caught up in like, you have to have New York experience, yeah. you know, but it's that old cart, you know, which comes first, you know, I got to have the job before I can get the experience, et cetera. Danny Meyer empire, they will hire you if you are straight off the bus from Arkansas, if you have that warmth and, and you're going to be able to create that experience and feeling they will hire you. One of my clients is a, He's a Navy SEAL who did 10 combat deployments, and now he's in talent acquisition. And he says he screens the companies in which he places people more so in, in a, you know, than some of the, the people that are in the funnel. And he goes, you hire for character, you train for skill. He goes, he's, he's, mm. he's absolutely trying to debunk the whole, you know, you didn't need 10 years experience here and, and all that. And, and at the same time, he and I are very aligned in the fact that just because we served in the military and sure we have leadership doesn't mean that makes it a good fit. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's very, very interesting. So let me ask you that if you were exposed to that and you were one of the people that were taken on in the quote unquote, you know, future empire, how does that play into how you designed your team or, you know, built your team at primary? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And, and even as you say it, I, I'm thinking to myself, Wow, five years in, and and certainly a conversation I've had with many business owners is that the number one most difficult something to get right is the people part. You know, hiring, finding, retaining the right people, so to speak, is so challenging. And so I certainly don't proclaim to have uh, been masterful at this at all. I think it is a trial and error, and and unfortunately, we I have let you know numerous people go over over the years. I think. 
Um, there's some great things that have helped me to contribute to knowing when it's also time to part ways. I heard one CEO once say, a lot of times the person who gets you to here is not the person who's going to get you to that next bump. And a lot of business owners get too caught up in this feeling of indebtedness or guilt where they don't part ways uh, with someone who was wonderful for the first part of the journey. But if they want to get that business to the next level, they need someone else with maybe a more masterful skill set or set of experience or maybe a different level of character, as you're saying here, even. That definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming scaling as a business scales, that factors in because the talent requisites are, are just more diverse and deeper. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So I, I also remember another CEO on a panel I heard say once, I never let go of anyone too soon. So there's a there's a lesson in listening to your gut or intuition, right? If if this person is maybe not seeming like the right fit, maybe it's time to pull the plug, you know, sooner rather than later um, and trust yourself as it relates to the, to the gut about that person. Though, with one caveat, I think one thing to consider is something that comes from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, which was my number one takeaway from that book, which my father, who was a business owner, also gave out to a lot of his uh, people in his business. It's not necessarily about getting the right people, but about getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. So sometimes, you know, you got to key into maybe this person does have great character, but maybe their skill set doesn't suit the seat that they're in. And if we move them to another seat, they will still be able to effectively contribute to the business. But so if you think you can make an, an internal shift that would be effective, there's something to consider. But otherwise, if that seat's not available, then, you know, you never let go of someone too soon. It's hard. It's hard. But I, so I think that, you know, the hospitality piece and, and trying to, bring people in who do have experience in the service industry, the hospitality industry has been a focus that I shifted towards over the last two years of wanting to bring people, people, so to speak, you know, into the business. When we're talking about a a 75,000 square foot space at the flagship location, which you're at right now, and there's obviously co-working spaces all over New York. I've done plenty of interviews all over including WeWork, of course. What do people say when they walk into primary and why is it different? They love the way it feels. I mean, it's a, it's an exhale. There's a lot of live greenery. I can see in my screen here, you can see a plant wall behind <laughs> you. You can see a moss wall here. There's a plant here. I can see three different sets of greenery just in my Zoom screen right now. You know, I, I think um, that was huge. Literally the plant life breathing life into the space. Um, I, I wanted to create a space uh, that people could, where they could make their primary focus themselves, their body, their well-being, hence the name. Um, because if you focus on those things, everything in your life, including your business, can thrive. And so that's why, in, in addition to having a beautiful uh, sort of zen, calming, professional aesthetic, we have an on-site studio where we have been hosting yoga, meditation, boot camp classes, which is obviously part of our challenge during the coronavirus time here. And we're looking forward to the day, you know, it's safe to start having smaller and then ultimately larger classes again. We have an on-site cafe where we have healthy food and juices and so you can fuel your body in a healthy way. And so it's sort of between those three components, the aesthetic, the, the studio and the cafe, that's the way that we have felt that we were able to nourish business professionals so they can focus on being as productive uh, as possible in the workspace. Our motto is you work best when you feel great. And so if we could create a space where you feel great, 
then you can work your best. It's, you know, it's really that simple. I agree. Uh, anyone who, who knows me every morning, I, I just have a habit of walking into this office and I, and I put it on Instagram because I have the little time clock and it's between somewhere between 4.13 and 4.22 a.m. And I'm just like, I'm getting to work. Like, this is my uninterrupted time. And when I get that in, it's like the first quick win of the day. I'm like, I'm going to feel great the rest of the day. I get to hang out with the girls for a little bit. Then I get to do some physical activity. And then I'll put in another just monster amount of, of, of really deep work. But what I wanted to ask, and, and, and this feeds into the question, which is, you know, you put yourself first, you, you, you know, pri- like the meaning of what you're saying, the primary reason of why you do things and how to take care of yourself. Now, let me ask, you and I both have families. We both have two children. And it's like, okay, this feels like the primary everything a lot of the time. And while the actual amount of time with the family is probably less, it's primary to everything about me. So how do you not confuse the two? And I'm not talking about work-life balance. I'm talking about like where you are. Like someone said to me, your head is not where your feet are. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, you're right. I'm always thinking about the business. <laughs> yeah. But how do you, how do you, how do you approach that when, in my opinion, you probably have two primary things? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I, you're reminding me of this quote, don't mistake a street address for where you actually live. I think that's the quote. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, um, well, I think going back to the motto, you work best when you feel great. I have always been clear that our business is not about having work-life balance where, uh, or um, uh, no blurred lines between work and life and it's all molded together. That's not it. I'm very clear that this is beautiful office space where you come to work and, and productively, effectively get your work done. So that, by the way, you can leave at a reasonable time. You know, you're not having to hustle and grind and be here until eight o'clock at night. If you can work effectively in a in a conducive setting, then you can leave the office at five o'clock, six o'clock. You can go home and you can go to your other primary focus, which is your your family. You know, and or go work out or you know. So it really was never about blurring those lines for me. It's like you can. It is about what's primary and how do you be effective, I think, in, in the things that are primary in your life. Yes, for sure. Well, you strike me as someone who, it's kind of an obvious observation now, but at the beginning, I feel like you're someone who likes to coach, who likes to just really give knowledge away. And, and I think, just personally, side note, one of my worst experiences after the Marine Corps was the way I felt like senior leaders tried to hoard knowledge when I was so hungry for it. And it didn't, and I wasn't underperforming, but I'm just like, just give it away. Just give it away. Like it, it's not, it, I, I will learn faster if I understand why you came out of this meeting like this, <laughs> you know? Now, in the hospitality industry, I believe as a casual observer that there is a very fine line between being too part of the experience of others and and obviously, you know, doing it just the right amount. So how how do you, if I went to primary, would you be bouncing around talking to some of the tenants? I don't even know. Is that what you call them? Tenants? Members. Members. Uh, do you go talk to them or do... Do they feel like, oh, wow, Lisa, I got to talk to Lisa today? Or are you out and about or in the office? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I make circles around the floor that sometimes engaging, you know, sort of, I think from a hospitality standpoint, um, it, it takes me back to my days of, of waiting tables and managing restaurants. You know, you have those tables that come in that they want to chat it up with you and they want, that's part of their experience. Or sometimes you have a, a two folks who are in a business meeting and they're in a private conversation and they just want to make sure the ketchup is there for the burger, the water is full. They don't even want to have to ask. And that's that. And so I, I think that part of hospitality is reading your audience. And so 100%, you would have many members who know who I am. There are women, certainly business owners who are here because I'm a female business owner and they love to champion a fellow female business owner. I think one of the things that I love that we sort of discovered and incorporated into our philosophy and mission over the last two years is this sentiment that we're bringing hospitality to everyday life. And so you don't go to the office. Most people don't go to the office and expect a feeling. They expect maybe a good morning. Hey, Rich, you know, maybe a how was your weekend if, if the person's going above and beyond. Um, but they don't expect to say, so are you working on any new projects or um, any meaningful introductions that I can make for you? They don't expect the team to kind of go above and beyond. And that's part of the training that we're incorporating in is, is to have our team be um, uh, ambassadors, so to speak, and uh, of, of opportunity um, and connections. And, and that's what I think that our members are surprised and delighted by because they don't expect that when they go to the office. My last question, and I went all over the place, but I told you that's how I am. And I, I feel like I, I had some great discussions already. When it comes to the hospitality industry, if I am someone who aspires to be a business owner, despite uh, everything that has happened and, and knowing that that's kind of where I want to live, can you give some non-sugar-coated advice on you do not belong in this industry if, and followed by this industry is for you if? Oh my gosh. I mean, it, it is interesting that we have through this pandemic discovered that to some extent our or to a large extent our shared office based business can be likened to retail business because our terms are are short month to month six months um we had a, a big decrease in in occupancy and, and clientele like many small businesses and like many restaurateurs um, and hospitality business owners uh, around the country and so it's going to be a tough slow recovery um for right now and so i think I mean, some of this applies to probably all industries, but, you know, and I'm thinking of our friend Sel Watts here when she talks about how she's concerned for uh, entrepreneurs in the country or in the world because it's so glamorized, right? I'm going to, you know, make this much money and have this flexibility and, you know, all these things, which that happens to, you know, such a tiny percent of business owners. And certainly, you know, it doesn't happen anytime in the first five, 10, 15 years of the business. Um, and so I think that resilience and resourcefulness um, and positivity are probably my three go-to traits of, I think, in the retail and restaurant business, like resilience and resourcefulness and positivity to be able to get through these tough times to, to be able to recognize that not everyone's going to have a positive experience, but you know, as Danny Meyer would say, I think success is not defined by whether or not your business has problems or issues arise. It's in how you handle or resolve 
those problems. And so I think that in our industry, again, really resilience, resourcefulness, and positivity. Um, you know, in the restaurant business, as I said, if you don't want to make a lifestyle change, nights, holidays, weekends, don't get into the restaurant business. It's, it's part of why I love the idea of coming into my business, shared office space, because it's nine to five. You know, it's it's a, a weekday where I could prioritize, you know, my my children, my family, and my life also. Well, in the spirit of what you would consider a good experience if someone walked into primary, uh, let me ask you, what projects are you working on or where can you be found so the audience who's listening to this can support you and get in touch with you? Thank you so much. Uh, We are expanding by listening to what people need in the workplace right now. We're expanding our options and offerings. And so some of our members right now just need to pop in one day a week Maybe they need a private office. Maybe they're okay. And we have a huge open room that has 84 seats and people are wearing masks. And obviously we have hand sanitizer and wipes and what have you around constant cleaning so that people can feel safe. We have very wide open hallways. And I think in general, people feel safe and comfortable being in the space. So really what will help us in the next year is to book our occupancy back up, you know, to really rebuild the vibrant community that we have. We were at 98% occupancy before all this happened, you know, and now we're, we're under 50%. And so we need people who need offices, whether that's individual one person offices, people who need meeting rooms. We have gorgeous meeting rooms, 15 of them uh, here. Um, Or even if you just need somewhere to call home as it relates to mail and address, and then pop in, you know, once a week, we're, we're here to facilitate all of that. And that's, that's how people can, can be of service to me right now. Thank you for that question. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, of course, of course. So I will link to uh, your where you can be found online. And uh, to anyone listening, I, I can very confidently say, although I work remotely and I'm able to do it well, uh, there are those moments where everyone who's glorifying it in a way is going to need that space to really do that deep work. And I'll give you a perfect example this morning. Someone needed help brushing their teeth, uh, and that was mom trying to help me to convince our three-year-old to, to brush her teeth, and the fit happened right next to me as I was doing some very important work, and uh, if you want to consider getting a relief from that, even if it's a couple days or whatever, obviously now you know of a place in New York that's growing, that has greenery, and that prioritizes experience, and has a founder and CEO that clearly wants you to put yourself first. All right, everyone, thank you so much. I really hope you had a good experience like I did listening to and interviewing Lisa. And look, if you happen to be in New York City, let her know, get in touch with her, go check out Primary and see what it's all about. And definitely check her out on LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much for listening to her. And there would be nothing better than for that word to spread and that word can spread about her and some of the other guests if you take the time to rate and review. That would be so, so great if you could take the time to rate and review this podcast. And if you have negative feedback, I want it. I absolutely a thousand percent want it. I am not above anything and I'm always learning. So thank you for your time. We'll see you next week.